All right, thank you guys, and uh, Carly, good seeing you. Glad and Carly can be with us, and thank you for being here this morning, whether in person or online. We're so grateful that you're a part of our uh, worship experience this morning, and uh, we do hope that uh, you will take the time. Uh, if you are a guest, and as the Spirit prompts you and leads you, if there are decisions that you have, questions that you have about what it is to be a follower of Christ, what it is as a follower of Christ to be a part of a church family, we'd love to help you in that uh, conversation that you're having. So we just hope that you would take the time to uh, text FL response. One word, FL Respond, to the number provided for you, 833-571-3475, and we would love to be able to follow up with you and have more conversation with you. And I'd even love, if you're here this morning as a guest, I'd love an opportunity to meet you uh, in person. I'm always milling around out there in the foyer after the service, and so uh, I hope that I'll have a chance to meet you uh, after the service. This uh, week, what I want us to do before we eventually get back into our Roman series, we have a couple of uh, few chapters left in Romans, picking up in Romans 13, and we'll get to that. But until then, I want to play a bit off the, the message last week, and it involved uh, New Year's resolutions, talking about uh, being resolved in your life about certain things. And, and one of the things I talked about was, was learning how uh, to be comfortable being uncomfortable, that if you're really going to grow, you have to be able to embrace discomfort. Uh, the human brain pulls back whenever there's adversity, uh, whenever something is uncomfortable, the, the brain always wants to get to its comfort zone. It always wants to go back to a path of least resistance. And so it's only as you're uncomfortable in life that you can embrace discomfort that reality is it's only in that context that you're going to grow as a person and grow in your faith. And so it's imperative that, that we get comfortable being uncomfortable. And in the life of faith, it's not so much about what we have been as it is what we are becoming. We're a people who are going forward into the providential purposes of God. And that can be hard, that can be difficult, that can be uncomfortable. It's not unlike Abraham, who was called, who was the father of faith, to go out into a place of not knowing. That's not our nature. We don't like going to a place of not knowing. We like going to a place that we know, a place that is, that is comfortable and, and predictable and manageable. So really, the, the life of faith, if it's properly understood, is always a journey of discomfort. It's always growing us. It's always challenging us. Most of you here are probably familiar with the name of Norman Lear. If you don't know the name, you are probably familiar with his shows. He was a producer, produced many of the great, greatest comedies in, in the last 50 years of, in the last half of the 20th century. He turned 100 years old this summer. And at a, a party given by his friends, he, he offered some pearls of wisdom, as a man can from 100 years of age, from that perspective on life. But one of the things when I was reading that article that, that captured my attention was something he said. He said, we have not done well. Talking about we collectively. He said, we, we do not do well with two words. The first is over. And the second one is next. We don't do well in honoring over and next. That is, coming to the recognition that some things are over, some things end, that they will never be again. They once were, but they no longer are. It's over. 
And most people fall into the trap of, of lamenting and wanting and longing and being miserable, wanting things to be the way they used to be instead of being mature and grown up and realizing they're just over. It's not coming back. No matter how much you lament, no matter how much you pine for it, no, ma- no matter how much we whine and complain about it, it's not coming back. And so between, between what's over and what's next, we are caught in a cradle of time. And that cradle of time is called a moment. It's called right now. Right now, this cradle of time in which we find ourselves, this is, this is the position between, between what is over, where we have been, what we have done, and where we are going, and what is to be. And the challenge is to be a people that keep going forward, that have the maturity and the awareness to leave behind what was, where I was, who I was, with the anticipation of, of what is to be. Now, that's why I want us to open our Bibles this morning to Luke's gospel in, in chapter 10 and Jesus' account of sending out the 72. Because I'm convinced that, that this notion of what I'm speaking to, this idea of moving forward, I believe that moving forward is a spiritual discipline. The capacity that we have, our capacity as a people of God for moving forward, that is a spiritual discipline. That's what Jesus is really speaking to. In the sending out of the 72, we find that if we are to move forward into the purposes of God, if we are to move forward as as a called out people, as an appointed people, then it is going to to require something of us. If we are to recognize that, that you and I, if we are to recognize that we are a people that are called, that we are a people that have been mandated, that as the follower of Christ, we, we have been given a great commission task. That's why we have been called. That is why we have been set aside. It's for a purpose. It's for a task. And so if, if I'm going to embrace that and realize that, if I'm going to move forward into that, it's going to require some specific things of us. It's going to require that we be intentional in our living. It will require of us that we are intentional in our living. That is, we are purposed in our living. We are deliberate in our living. It says here in verse one, as Luke describes it in chapter 10, he said, now after this, and I will get back to what he was referring to there in just, in just a moment. He says, now, now after this, the Lord appointed. That is, I'm giving you a task. There's a purpose. I'm not calling you just to live a random life. You figure out who you are. No, I've called you for a purpose. I've, I've appointed you. You have been given a missional task that if you're going to be a, par- a part of the body of Christ, the people of God, then you have to know who you are so that you can pursue it with, with intentionality and and purpose in all of your decision-making. Now, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, besides the 12. He appointed 72 others. Jesus realizes that the redemptive purposes of God are not going to be fulfilled by, by him alone. 
during a physically present earthly ministry, nor is it going to be fulfilled by 12 men. And so at, at this point, he sees it necessary to, to, to appoint 72 more. And it is the anticipa anticipation of what we call the Great Commission. It's the anticipation of what will evolve as the body of Christ grows. It is the anticipation of what is going to grow all the way down to you and to me and all those that will become followers of Christ after us because of us. And so he appointed 72 others, just a sidebar. In the Septuagint, the LXX, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible in Genesis 10, <clears throat> I don't even know if this is relevant, but it's interesting. In Genesis 10, there were 72 nations in the world. 72 nations in the world, 72 are appointed. It's the anticipation of the gospel going forth to the uttermost parts of the world. And so he appointed 72 others and sent them. We are a people that are being sent. And sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city in a place where he himself was going to come. He is not a settled Savior. He is a going Savior. Just as we are not to be a settled people on this earth, we are a going people because we are a sent people. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, send out laborers into his harvest. Go, he says there in, in verse 3. You know why it's so important that we understand in, our, in the intentionality of our living, why we understand as a foundational principle that we are a people that are going, that we are a people that are sent, we are a people that have been mandated and commissioned and given a task. The reason that is of paramount importance is because our human nature is to settle. We want to be rooted. We, wanted to be, we want to be grounded. We want to have a sense of foundation in our life. That's human nature. That was the problem. If you go all the way back, back to Genesis, nowhere is this more evident than back in, in Genesis chapter 11 in the, in the account of the Tower of Babel. I mean, in those, in those first four verses, as they are traveling eastward, as they are journeying eastward, the people of God are a journeying people. And as they come to the plain of Shinar, you know what they said? Let's settle right here. Let's settle right here. They said to one another, come, let's make, let's make bricks. Bricks are used for permanent establishments, permanent dwelling places. Let us make bricks. Let's build something that will last. Let's build where we can stay. That's not the people of God. We are not a staying people. We are a nomadic people. We are a pilgriming people. Aliens, foreigners, Paul, Peter would use the language in, in the New Testament. We are sojourners. We are, not, we are not rooted here. We're just passing through here. We are a group that has been given a missional task on our way to somewhere else. 
Our hope, our confidence is not in the rootedness of this world. Otherwise, they said in verse 40, in verse 4, if we don't build here, if we don't build this permanent structure, it says there at the end of verse 40, of, at the end of verse 4, otherwise we will be scattered abroad over the face of all the earth. Yes! The very intentions of God in Christ Jesus, the uttermost parts of the earth. See, God's calling people to understand the life of faith. He's calling people to be disciples that are willing to commit themselves to having a kingdom mindset that have a mindset and an attitude more driven by the eternal than it is for the temporal. You see, that was the problem in those that were saying they wanted to follow Jesus. There's a bunch of wannabes. I mean, Jesus is kind of the popular guy at that time. I mean, when you're healing people, I mean, that, that's, pretty, uh, that's pretty appealing to the eye. Con consumer religion, it's real impressed with the show. It's real impressed with the numbers. It was really cool and popular among the young to be a follower of Jesus at this stage. Now, about the halfway point won't be so cool because then he starts talking about suffering and death and the great masses of crowds leave. But right now, it's pretty cool and hip. I mean, you, you, ask, you know, ask people back then where you go to church. Man, I go to Jesus' church. That's the happening place to go. A lot of wannabes. And at the end of chapter 9, that's what he's dealing with, wannabes. They didn't have the right attitude. He could tell in their answers. They, they didn't have the right perspective. They didn't have a kingdom mindset. They could see only in terms of, of the temporal and the sentimental. Notice the end of chapter 9, verse 57. As they were going, again, always going. As they were going on the road, someone said to them, I will follow you where... Wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I really don't think you'll follow me wherever I go. I think you won't, I think you, I think, I think you want to put your roots down somewhere. I think, I don't think you have what it takes. I think you'll be disappointed in following after me, because I'm going to send you places that you'd never imagined going. I'm going to create a level of discomfort in your life. I'm going to grow you and stretch you. I'm going to create levels of discomfort in your life that I don't think you want. I think more than anything, you just want to be comfortable. He said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Well, that all, I mean, that all sounds very noble, normal, doesn't it? But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. I don't think you have a big enough perspective. I think that you are driven only by the earthly. I think you are bound to this earth by sentimentality. And I'm not sure that you really think of, uh, that you really understand what it is to think of something bigger than this life. Now, don't hear me saying this morning, you ought never to go to another family funeral. <laughs> that's, not what, that's not what he's talking about. But at this stage, when he's calling disciples, he, he understands that it's imperative. When, I, when I'm building this foundational group, 
This group, uh, knowing his end, Jesus understands how important it is in these small groups into whom he, into whom he is pouring his life. It's imperative that they understand that this relationship with me, it transcends biological relationships. It transcends biological relationships. And I'm not sure you're really ready ready for that level of commitment that is necessary if you're really going to be my follower. Another also said, verse 61, I will follow you, Lord. But first, permit me to go say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. C.S. Lewis said sentimentality is what holds us hostage. Sentimentality is a negative emotion that holds us hostage to the things of this world. Sentimentality is a means of keeping you held hostage to the temporal. It keeps you from raising your perspective and your understanding of the greater things that God has you in store. And when you are consumed by sentimentality for the things that are, the things that were, you lack the discipline to go forward into this uncomfortable future. That's why it's required of us that if we are going to to go forward into this spiritual discipline, we have to be intentional in our living. The second thing is that we have to be frugal in our holdings. Again, a means of letting go of the things of of this world. It says there in in verse 4, Jesus' instructions. And notice it really really doesn't give any boundaries here. The, the, The priority is the instructions. Doesn't say anything about results. Doesn't say anything about the parameters of where you go. It's more consumed with the instructions that I'm giving you as a people that are sent. This needs to be your mindset and your mentality. I'm sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. You're going to be vulnerable to the world. Carry no belt, no bags, no sandals, and greet no one along the way. There's an urgency here. You got to travel light. You got to have a sense of traveling light through this world. The, the life of faith is really a divestiture of the things of this world. Kingdom life is the opposite of earthly life, always. I mean, the models of success that are held before you every day, that are bombarding the social media and the airwaves, is, is trying to get you to buy something. That, that success is portrayed by having, holding, and accumulating. Where the life of faith is just the opposite. I recognize these things don't fulfill. They don't, they don't satisfy. Well, they might be nice to have, but there's no fulfillment in there. And it's a divestiture, a giving away, traveling like getting rid of those things that, that encumber us. I really appreciate his words in the light of an agrarian society that, that he was writing to. I mean, there's just a sense of urgency about it. I mean, having said already in verse 2 that, that the fields are white unto harvest, but the laborers are few. You know, the stages of cultivation, those drag on months and months and months. But when the time of harvest comes, I mean, that's a few weeks, sometimes a few days. And those who understand that analogy know that sometimes you hire more workers to go into the field because that window of opportunity is so small for the harvest. 
And so Jesus is thinking about the urgency of, of what I am appointing you to do. And when you truly understand the shortness of life and the length of eternity, there ought to be a, a sense of urgency about our appointment, about the task that we have been given, the putting off of those things that that encumber us, those things that, that hold us back. It's not just sin, sinful things. I mean, uh, the writer of Hebrews would talk about letting go of the, of the sins that beset you, but it's also encumbrances. It's things that, that are not necessarily sinful. They're just, they're just baggage. That's why we call ourselves stewards, you know, and a starting place is a, is a tithe. You know, I found that when I, when, I, when I do the tithe, I manage the other 90 very well. I'm not just a steward of 10%. I'm a steward of everything that has been entrusted to me, my time, my money, my, my energy, my resources. I, I want to be frugal. I want to I I manage those things well. I want to put them towards things that matter, towards kingdom work. And so you're learning to travel light through this world. Your mindset is on kingdom things. So you, so you learn to let go of the things that, that weigh you down. Sometimes you have to let go of your Pulaski. Sometimes you got to drop your Pulaski if you're going to get ahead. Does everybody know what a Pulaski is? Firefighters do. Smoke jumpers do. And there were 12 young men, most of them college age, who were just working during the summer as smoke jumpers back in August 5th, 1949. Worst smoke jumper disaster in U.S. forestry history. 12 young men died because they refused to drop their Pulaski. Smoke jumpers are trained. You never drop your Pulaski. It's a heavy tool, an axe on, on one end, a kind of a narrow plowing instrument. You, you dig fire breaks. You're out in front of a fire and you dig breaks with these. Multi-purpose tool. That afternoon, August 5th, this group of young men was flown out of Missoula, Montana to Man Gulch. It's a wonderfully rich story for study. If, you, if you're interested in more about it, Norman McLean wrote the book, Young Men in Fire. Same guy that wrote A River Runs Through It. Fascinating book. These young men were flown out of Missoula, flown up to the upper Missouri River and dropped on the north ridge of Man Gulch, what is known as, as Man Gulch. There was a fire down close to the river, down on the south point of that, of that, that incline. The foreman by the name of Wag Dodge began leading those young men, those smoke jumpers, at, at an angle down to the, to the bottom of that, that gulch is a 75% incline. About 97 degrees, grass this high. Fire was started by lightning. There's some trees down by the river, and as they make their way down, they can see the smoke when all of a sudden the fire crowns in the trees. It blows up. 40 mile an hour winds all of a sudden come off that river and begin blowing that fire. Wag Dodge immediately tells his men to turn and run, trying to run back up that north ridge. Fire burns easier going up a ridge. 
40 mile an hour winds are pushing this fire, getting to the heels of those smoke jumpers who are running. When the fire is about 100 yards behind Wag Dodge, the foreman, he kneels down to do something that these young men had never seen before. It had never been done before. It's common now. He bent down, lit a match, and lit the ground in front of him so that the fire would burn in front of him and escape fire. Wag Dodge stepped into the burned out area. As his men were coming by, he hollered at them, drop your Pulaski and your packs and follow me. He had never worked with that crew before. One man hollered an expletive at him as they continued to run by. They had jumped onto that ridge at 410 in the afternoon. They were dead, 12 of them were dead by 556 because that's when the hands on their watch were melted. They were consumed by the fire because they refused to drop the very tools that were supposed to help them, that they thought they needed but it only weighed them down. We all probably have some things in our life that we have convinced ourselves that we need. But in reality, it's just weighing us down. To move forward into the purposes of God, to move forward in life, to just embrace Comfortably, the discomforts of this life, you got to be frugal in your holdings. Final thing, very quickly, is you have to be conditional in your associations. Verse 5, in whatever house you enter, first say peace be to this house, shalom, a word sounds that's associated with salvation, well-being, Peace be to this house, and if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him, but if not, it will return to you. Stay in the house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer is deserving of his wages. Do not move from house to house. I want you to, I want you to build relationships in this missional task to which I have appointed you. I, I want you to build relationships that matter, substantive relationships. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is served to you and heal those in it who are sick. That's associated with the redemptive purposes of God. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable on that day for Sodom than for that city. There's going to be relationships that you're building out in the community with individuals. There's going to be people that are open to talking about matters of faith with you. There's going to be others that, that are hostile sometimes, have no interest whatsoever, and that's fine. It's not about you. I mean, our egos think it's about us. It's not, it's not about you. I mean, Jesus says the one who lists, verse 16, the one who listens to you listens to me and the one who rejects you rejects me. 
But the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. So we have to get over ourselves. It, it's not about, you know, well, I hope they like me. It doesn't matter. In these engaging conversations about, about matters of faith, their acceptance of it, their rejection of it, it's not, it's not about you. It's just in our coming and our, and our going, we have to be intentional, deliberate about, about pouring ourselves into relationships where it seems that, 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 that God's work is going to have its greatest effect. And you can just see it sometimes. You, you, and, and all of us want to be a part of something big. We want to be a part of something that matters. Understanding the shortness of life and what has been entrusted to us and that the world is selling us a false bill of goods that will never satisfy, we want to be a part of something significant. And when you study every great movement, every great cause, it is accomplished and achieved by common ordinary people that just want to see transformation, that want to be a part of a cause, of a movement. Great causes, great movements, great achievements never come about because of one great personality. On one great day, they did one great thing. Great causes, great movements are built on the backs of common, everyday Jane and Joes like you and like me. Who are faithful in the cradle of the moment given to us called time. That is called this moment that is called right now. At the intersections of life, just everyday life. Not big moments, just right now. It was true in the civil rights movement and in the life of Ura Lee Gordon. Oh, you've never, you're looking at me like you never heard of Ura Lee Gordon. Or maybe Earl, everybody called him Earl. Earl Gordon, there you go, is that it? Ring a bell? Probably not. But Ura Lee Gordon, Earl, was a significant part of the civil rights movement. Everybody knows E.D. Nixon, Rosa Parks, Dr. Martin Luther King. Everybody knows, really, Earl, Ura Lee Gordon. But he knew the importance of that 1955 boycott of the Montgomery bus system. He knew it needed to happen. He knew the law, but he knew it was wrong. He knew it needed to happen. He marched in the 1963 march to Washington. But he never took a step. He marched in that 54-mile track in 1965, that march from Selma, Alabama, to the Capitol in Montgomery. Earl marched every step of the way, but he never took a step. In fact, Earl never left his shoeshine shop. Because in that shoeshine shop is where he met Dr. Martin Luther King. And from the first time Earl shined Dr. King's shoes, Martin Luther King came in there twice a week from that day forward. 
Dr. King would speak of him in his speeches, not by name, but he would talk about the modest and humble man who was entitled to respect and dignity in an integrated society. I want to tell you about a shoeshine man. Man in Montgomery, Alabama, who will always be the only man to shine my shoes. I've never seen a man approach a pair of shoes like this man does. He takes such great delight and glee in, in his work. You can see it while he's doing it. You can see his attention to detail. And then when he is through, he steps back with such satisfaction and pride in what he's done. The common man that is deserving of respect and dignity in an integrated society. When they, when they interviewed Ura Lee Gordon, and he passed away in 2008, but a couple of years prior there, there were some that recognized the significance of his part, and they interviewed Earl. And he talked about that 1955 boycott. He talked about the march in 1963. He talked about, he talked about the, 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 the walk from, from Selma to Montgomery in 1965 and all the other marches that, that really aren't written about in, in the pages of history. But Earl said, I was there because I walked every step as Dr. King marched his steps, he was walking in the shoes that I shined. You see how every individual here who calls himself a follower of Christ, you're a part of a movement. You're a part of what the body of Christ, the redemptive purposes of God, is seeking to accomplish in this world. Oh, and it can be hard. Especially those things that are virtuous, those things that are noble, that need to be done, that are necessary. But they make you uncomfortable. That's an affirmation that what has made you uncomfortable, especially in regard to those things that are noble and virtuous, that they're necessary. Embrace the discomfort. Get comfortable being uncomfortable as we practice the discipline of going forward in faith. Let's pray together. Father, how grateful we are for this calling you have placed upon our lives. Of the influence that you have entrusted to each and every one of us. Might it beckon us all the more to live with purpose and deliberateness, intentionality. To divest ourselves of the things of this world so that we might contemplate and reflect all the more on kingdom purposes and that appointment that you have entrusted to us so that we might recognize the importance of our associations in our calling in this great movement
that is the church, the body of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.